wonderful. Please take your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, for our study today. We'll be starting in verse 16, where we left off last week. Genesis 4, verse 16, to the end of the chapter today. Here we have Moses continuing his account of the beginning of all things. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahuyael, and Mahuyael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. And Adah bore Yaval. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Yuval. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tuval Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tuval Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing at the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. It's always fun to say those Hebraic names too, so... Well, there are things that make us angry, things that make us angry that can easily turn into bitterness. In our passage this morning, we find Cain's descendant Lamech bitter and angry over something that someone did to him. Has that ever happened to you? Somebody did something to you and now you're a bit annoyed? You return, you return to your car to find that it has a big scratch in it and no one left a note. Has that ever happened to you? All the lines are long at Walmart and you're in a hurry and it's your wife's fault because she should have taken care of all this stuff before. Or your doctor makes you wait an extra hour before the appointment. Your child doesn't get as much playing time on the soccer team as you think she should. Or you come home from work to find that your son didn't do his chores. Or for you young people, your mom and dad are giving you the third degree again with way too many questions. Your boss ignores you again. The furnace is on the fritz. Your close friend is spending more time with someone else. Your husband got drunk again. Your wife isn't showing you the affection she used to show you. It seems like everything is against you. So the anger grows and with it comes bitterness toward everyone. Bitterness toward life itself. And after a long exposure to this kind of ongoing anger and growing bitterness, there finally comes a time when enough is enough and you snap. So you go off on your spouse, your son or daughter. 
You withhold affection toward those you say you love the most. You don't work as hard for your boss anymore. You slam the door and kick the dog. And you are seething and you really don't know how you've gotten to this point of utter frustration on the verge of rage. A long time ago when I was a college student, uh, my senior year, uh, my roommate and I had an apartment off campus and I was student teaching and, and my roommate was in classes on the campus and uh, a... Uh, a phone, I received a phone call that was for my roommate, and uh, for whatever reason, I neglected to take down the message, and my roommate found out about it, and he came back to our apartment, and he decided to just give me what for, and he started ripping on me. He was shredding me verbally and just tearing me apart, and uh, he decided to not only crab about the missed phone message, but now, you know, you've got a lot of other things that annoy me too, he went on. And now he listed a laundry list of all, the, all of his complaints that he ever had. And now, mind you, this is a little bitty guy, and I'm bigger than him, and I'm getting pretty annoyed. And I'm like, why I oughta? I was pretty hot. I was pretty angry. I was seething with what he was now doing to me. It was a missed phone call. I'm so sorry. But now you're destroying me. What we need to realize is that our sin and rebellion against God carries major consequences that affect all of us as we wrestle with anger and bitterness that we allow into our lives. The only hope we have is to put off our anger and bitterness and put on a heart of forgiveness. Through calling on the name of the Lord and putting our faith and trust in God, one and only Redeemer, we can finally find real and enduring peace in our relationships. Last week, we looked at overcoming anger and bitterness, part one. This is now part two. Last week, we saw peace begins with appropriate worship of God. Secondly, we saw that peace is found through allowing Christ to rule over our hearts. Thirdly, we saw that peace is found through counting the cost of our anger and bitterness. And fourthly, we saw that peace is found through repenting of our anger and bitterness. We need to repent. We need to count the cost. We need to allow Christ to rule over our hearts, starting with our worship of God rightly. Again, this week now, as we go back to the beginning in our study of the book of Genesis, Overcoming Anger and Bitterness, Part 2. With last week's cliffhanger, it left us with the seed line in jeopardy with the murder of Abel. You'll recall God had promised a redeemer to Eve and Adam. A child was going to come from Eve, a seed. In the Hebrew, the word is Sarah. A seed would come, a child would come from the woman who would destroy evil once and for all. And of course, God was actually talking to the evil one when he made that pronouncement. Here it comes. And now if you're the evil one, you're like, man, I've got to stop the seed. And we saw last week, of course, he's obviously thinking, if I can get one of these boys to follow me and have him kill the other, I'll succeed. And that's what happened. However, the seed line went through Seth and not Abel, as we're going to see today. So we need to see, first of all, that there are three things that we need to also consider in how 
we deal with our anger and bitterness as now sin begins to multiply in the descendants of Adam and Eve. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we desperately need your help as we study your word. Help us to dive in, to consider every word here, and to tear it apart so we might understand how we might apply it to our lives, each thought at a time. And so, Lord, we ask that you would govern over our effort this morning. Teach us, mold us, shape us, help us to deal with these things, the things that we need to deal with in our own hearts and minds. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Open it up to us by the power of your spirit, we ask. We ask that you touch our hearts. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. Now, if you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth of three this morning. Beloved, our sin brings major consequences. Again, we talked a little bit about this last week with this idea of counting the cost, but I want you to count the cost a little more. Our sin brings major consequences. First of all, our sin has generational consequences. Your sin, my sin, it affects those who come after us. Notice what it said in verse 16, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. We talked about last week how tragic that was. It's never a good thing. It's never good, right, or benefit for you to go away from God. And so Cain goes away from the presence of the Lord, and he settles in the land of Nod, the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And now we have a rebellious man who's now going to be bringing up an additional rebellious generation. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehuyael, and Mehuyael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And as we saw last week, after Cain murdered Abel, Cain went out away from the presence of the Lord. And after doing so, he starts having children. And Scripture is very clear that the sins of our ancestors have generational consequences. That is, our sin, those things that we're doing in outright rebellion against God, carries down generationally. Sin has been imputed to us through our inherited sin nature to such a degree that not only are we a sinner by birth, we're sinners by choice. Now we see Cain's ungodly line. This imputed sin now goes to them. Again, Scripture is clear that the sin of our fathers has already been put against our account at birth. Psalm, the Psalm 51.5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David understood this. Paul writes about the consequences of Adam's sin as compared to Jesus' victory over the grave. It won't be on the screen, but listen closely to what Paul writes in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who is that? That's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because now all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. That's for us, you guys. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, 
But now the free gift of following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and be free of righteous reign and life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, i.e. Christ, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Again, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're now redeemed. You're no longer a part of the curse. You have access now to righteousness you're filled with the Holy Spirit and can now actually finally do the right thing by his grace. Now, by the way, with this truth, if you are a parent, this is an incredibly sobering thought concerning our sins. And You have, uh, you know, some of you with little bitty ones, you've got some of the cutest little sinners you've ever had in your house. But our sins have generational consequences. But even more than that, and I hate to point this out, but here's what's true. Our sin, secondly, has specific consequences. We can talk about the general nature of sin carrying down, but the, specific, the specifics of it carry down. Notice what it says in verse 19. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Zadah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Here we see that our specific sins have the potential to carry down generationally. He took two wives. This is known as bigamy. Multiple wives, which was clearly against God's perfect design for marriage by way of monogamy. One man for one woman with the model of Adam and Eve. So now he's doing something that's not a part of how God created things. From this, we will see that this specific sin now is followed, it follows down generationally. We run into those like Abraham who had Sarah, and of course, then he took in Hagar, and then there's Jacob with Leah and Rachel, and, and then with additional handmaids, and then David and all of his wives, and then Solomon had even more wives. Have you ever noticed whenever you see something about multiple wives throughout the text, it becomes more chaos and craziness and rebellion? I don't know about you, gentlemen, but it's hard enough doing what's right with just one. So what are you thinking? One man for one woman. By the way, the end result of Solomon's multiple wives was he lost the whole kingdom in a generation. Exodus 20, verse 5 says this. Through Moses, God had warned us, you shall not bow down to them. That is referring to idols here. Don't bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Parents, wake up. That should scare the crud out of you. Generational sin, it carries down. Those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 34, 7, keeping steadfast love for thousands. This is our God. He keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, again, just take a moment here. Now, reflect on your parents. Think about your parents a little bit. What adverse character traits are you still trying to get over from them? 
Now, of course, with my parents, they're fantastic and perfect, right? So I, they're here. I'm not going to say anything. But we all wrestle. And if we're not careful, the things we're wrestling with, oftentimes that I've seen, becomes exacerbated. It becomes more pronounced in the offspring. If you haven't dealt with it, you go, oh, no. Years ago, I was working with a youth group over in Wisconsin, and uh, we found out one of our youth group kids had decided that it would be a, a brilliant idea to start smoking dope. And so here's this teenage kid smoking dope, and uh, of course, thinking how brilliant he was, and he wanted to wax eloquently about the benefits of marijuana, and I'm like, you're obviously clueless. And I pulled aside his father, his father Ken. I said, Ken, you know, uh, your son's having trouble with the marijuana here. What are you going to do here? And, and he's like, well, you know, I wrestled with it too. And I said, well, did you stop? Well, yeah, I stopped. He said, uh, but you know, I really, I can't talk to him about it because I wrestled with him too. I said, but wait a minute, you stopped, didn't you? Yeah. Why did you stop? And then he told me all the reasons why he had to stop. You are precisely the person to talk to your son about why this is not a good idea. Let's talk about it. Work it out. Just because you've wrestled does not disqualify you from getting things right and then now talking to your children about what is good and right and appropriate. Don't shrink back from your opportunity there. Again, as a parent, this truth that sins Specific sins carry down. That's a sobering thought. But not only this, and interestingly, our sin also has occupational consequences. Here we see a listing of the descendants of Cain now. Our sin can be increased and intensified through our occupation and ultimately through even our dependence on technology. In and of themselves, for the most part, our vocations along with the technology, science and the arts, uh, we employ our amoral. There's not any morality to these things for the most part, unless it's something that's outright against God. It is what we do with our career, with what we do with our technology, our advancement, our scientific discovery, or the arts that determines its destructive capacity or not. In our text, we here have a listing of occupational and technological advances that can be used for good or ill. First of all, we see domestics in verse 20. Adab or Yaval, he was the father of those who dwell in tents. Okay, so now we've got home building, if you will, building trades, tents, houses, dwellings. And of course, a dwelling can be a safe haven for people to love and, and walk with Christ, or it can be used for abuse and conflict. And I ask you, what kind of a home do you have? You have agriculture and farming. Those who dwell in tents and have livestock, animal husbandry, representing wealth. And we all know that wealth can be used for good or for ill. How are you using your resources? And by the way, my dad says, apparently God doesn't care about money. Just look who he gives it to. Okay. That was free. No charge for that today. But then you have the arts, like in verse 21. His brother's name was Yuval. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Music, again, could be good or evil. There's evil music with decadent words and messages. There are words that are awesome, that are uplifting and appropriate. What are you listening to? Now, by the way, don't tell me that, well, I just listen to the music. You know, your mind is not that sharp. I'm sorry, and neither is mine. 
because we can't filter out the message that keeps coming at us as we find ourselves saying those words later in the day after we've heard it. And now we can't shut it off. It's in there. Garbage in, garbage out. We know how this works. Of course, media. I ask you, what are you watching? What are you finding pleasure in? Has it become your life? And again, you know, well, you know, I can't memorize the Bible, but you know every word of that Adele song, right? Come on, talk to me about this. And then we have commercial manufacturing with verse 22. Zilla also bore two volcanes. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Of course, the sister of Tuvalcain was Naama. Again, metal can be used for plowshares, for planting and reaping, or can be used for weaponry. And I ask, what are you producing? Beloved, our sin has generational consequences. It has specific consequences. And ultimately, our sin rebellion has occupational technological consequences. But not only that, not only should we measure the cost of those consequences to help us overcome anger and bitterness, secondly here, you need to know that retaliation is never, never, ever justified before God. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada, Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. I've killed or I've slain. That language indicates the use of some sort of weapon of slaughter. Perhaps a double homicide. He talks about a man. He talks about a young man, in essence, a boy. Now, we could argue, well, maybe it was in self-defense. But if you, if you read this as I've read it, there just seems to me to be an arrogant spirit about Lamech and his wives over against God's design for Lamech. He's basically saying that if someone kills me for what I've done, killing a man and a boy, then they'll be avenged 77-fold. This, this reeks of bitterness and anger against anyone who would dare mess with Lamech. And here we see that anger and bitterness is a destroyer. But what can we do when people treat us horribly? How can we handle our own anger and bitterness when they aren't being very nice, they're not being kind, perhaps they're even being hurtful, first of all, we need to rest in God's sovereignty. Will you rest in God's sovereignty when people are abusive and ridiculous? Romans 12, 17, Paul writes, repay no one, repay no one evil for evil. Are you hearing that? In our whole culture, we've got this payback idea. Matter of fact, all the media, all the shows, you know, all the Marvel movies, whatever it is, it's always a payback. You did this to me, and now I'm going to do this to you. Watch me. Repay no one evil for evil, Paul says, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I admit, sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you can't get it all straightened out. And they're not willing to make things right. But that doesn't mean you still have to be hostile. You don't have to be hostile at all. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, ready? Never avenge yourselves. There it is. Retaliation is never justifiable before God. Never avenge yourselves. Why? But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And by the way, you guys, 
God is so much better at that than you are. <laughs> I've seen it. I've just waited. And man, he does his thing, and it's way better watching him do his thing than you trying to do it yourself, and then you make a bigger mess. Don't go there. Rest in his sovereignty, his care. But not only this, we can put away anger, wrath, and malice. Will you do that? Would you put it away from you? Colossians 3.8, Paul writes, but now you must put them all away. Put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have now buried the old man, and now we have put on Christ. Put the old man off. Put on Christ with all of his righteousness, and put away from you anger, wrath, and malice. But thirdly here, what else can we do? We can humbly walk in God's truth. Will you do that? Will you humbly walk in God's truth? James 1.19 won't be on the screen. Listen closely. James, the brother of Jesus, listen to what he says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. A lot of us, we wrestle with that because we're fast to anger. You know, we're, we're lightning speed, anger. Watch this. In verse 20, he goes on to say, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Are you hearing that? Your little bit of anger cannot make any difference in making anything right. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Ah, we can humbly walk in God's truth. Let's receive the implanted word, the word of God, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Sadly, pastorally, I end up dealing with quite a few angry men in my office. They're just angry. And of course, along with that comes women who are just fearful. If you're angry, you need to do something about that. You need to take that anger and bring it to the foot of the cross and lay it down. With God's help, you can trust his sovereignty. You can put off the anger and bitterness, and you can humbly walk in God's truth. This is completely doable if we just bend our knee to what he has to say. But lastly, this morning, in overcoming anger and bitterness, we can choose to put on a heart of forgiveness. Again, we're so busy being upset. We're so busy being hurt at our very core over people who have slandered or maligned the great me. How dare they? Could we just choose to have a heart of forgiveness? But to do this, we need to put our trust in God's promised redeemer. We need Christ here. 
We can choose to put on a heart of forgiveness by putting our trust in God's promised redeemer. In verse 25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring, another seed, another zerah, that's that Hebrew word for seed, instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Now notice how there's nothing said here about Eve's understanding about what Cain had done. Notice how it seems from what we have, she's focused on the future. She's putting her trust in God's promises that God has appointed for me another seed instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And God has blessed me. We go back to our storyline here, the seed line, another offspring. Here we are reminded in the midst of ongoing sin and corruption, anger and bitterness, that God is providing the forgiveness we need for our sins and the forgiveness we need to extend in the lives of others through the promised Redeemer. The Apostle Paul reminds us that it's Jesus that can make all the difference for us as we work through our anger and bitterness. Paul says in Colossians 3.12, Put on then as God's chosen ones. We talked about what to put off. Now Paul tells us what to put on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Oh, that we put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and some would say, well, you're just asking me to be one of those Christian doormats. It's not what I'm saying. We're talking about meekness. Was Jesus, was Jesus a doormat? No, not in the least. He was meek, though. Meek, strength under control is a great definition for meekness. And he lived it with everything he did. He was no doormat, but he was humble and meek. He is the picture of what we need to look like in how we live our lives. Paul says in Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. There it is again. Along with all malice, put that away from you. But be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now you recall in the text as you've read the Bible from time to time, there's a the moment that Peter came up to Jesus and was kind of boasting a little bit. Hey, Lord, you know, if I forgive somebody seven times, that's pretty awesome, right? You can imagine what Peter's imagining here. Uh, he's thinking that, well, seven, that's the number of fulfillment for the Jews. So if I forgive a guy seven times, I'm rocking it, right? And basically, Jesus has to remind him, dude, you've got the decimal in the wrong place. You don't, you don't get it. In Matthew 18, this is where we see this. Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? That's pretty good, right? 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Move your decimal, Peter. (laughs) Now, after he says this, then Jesus tells a little story, a little parable, right? About a guy who owed a king a bazillion dollars, that's a paraphrase, right? And this guy had no ability to ever pay it back, right? But he's telling the king, oh, I'll pay it back, oh, king, you know, just don't send me to debtor's prison, you know. You know, his wife and his kids are in danger going to prison, and he's begging and pleading. And sure enough, finally the king says, all right, the debt is forgiven. And by the way, when the king forgives this guy, who just ate the debt? Who just ate it? The king did, right? Isn't that exactly what Christ did for us? He, he took our debt, did he not? But then this guy, you know, after being released from this debt, from the king, he goes down the street and finds a guy who owes him 10 bucks and starts strangling him. He can give me my money. Of course, the king finds out about it. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt, which means he's never getting out. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We're not just talking feigning forgiveness. We're talking about a real forgiveness. Now, so what does forgiveness look like, right? That's the next question. Okay, if you're going to ask me to forgive, what are you telling me I have to do here? Well, first of all, I'm not the one telling you. He's telling you to do it, not me. I'm just agreeing with it. What do you have to do? Well, first of all, you're not going to bring it up to that person anymore. That's where forgiveness starts. You're not going to bring it up to them anymore. You're not going to bring it up to other people. You're not going to keep talking about it. You're not going to post it on Facebook. Oh, please stop that. Don't post this, your, all your problems on Facebook for the world to see. Well, you know what happens, right? You know, as a couple, you have a fight, and you put your fight on Facebook, and everybody, they position themselves either, you know, for you, against you, or with your spouse, or whatever, and now, you know, everybody's all ready to duke it out, and, and then, you know, you make up, and nobody else knows that. And everybody's left hanging, thinking, oh, those people, are, there's a bad person there, you're, you're good, you're bad. And again, when people are posting like that, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get people to side with them on their issues. Just don't do it. Say no. You're not going to bring it up to that person anymore. You're not going to bring it up to anybody else. You're not going to bring it up to yourself. That's the hard one. You're not going to bring it up and just sit there and brood about it anymore. You're going to turn it off. I'm going to think about something else. That's forgiveness. I, in a moment of time, I'm now releasing you from your crime. I'm not holding it against you anymore. I'm done. It is forgiven. By the way, isn't that how we want to be forgiven, right? Isn't that how we want people to forgive us when we mess up? And by the way, aren't you thankful that God doesn't show up to you and say, hey, remember that thing you did 10 years ago? I'm still kind of annoyed by it. No. As we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin. What's clear here in this text is that Lamech just does not have a heart of forgiveness. Instead of harboring a heart that looks to justify ourselves through a 77-fold vengeance, we need to have hearts that are willing to forgive 77-fold. And now through Christ, this can be done as we walk with him with a heart of forgiveness. Lastly here this morning, don't miss it. 
We can also overcome our anger and bitterness as we choose to put on a heart of forgiveness by calling on the name of the Lord, because that's exactly what happens here in verse 26. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, that all of us would call on the name of the Lord, that we would be a people that's ongoingly calling on the name of the Lord, calling on him for deliverance, as David cried out. 2 Samuel 22, 4, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and am saved from my enemies, David says, calling on him for forgiveness. The psalmist goes on to say in Psalm 86, 5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon me, or call upon you, calling on him for his power. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know, calling on him for salvation. Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and calling on him with thanksgiving. Psalm 105, 1 through 6, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praises to him, speak of all his wonders, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth. Oh, seed of Abraham. Ah, there it is, the seed. You're an offspring too if you're in Christ. Oh, seed of Abraham, his servant. Oh, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. Beloved, we need to put on a heart of forgiveness by calling on the name of the Lord as we place our trust in God's promised redeemer, Jesus. So my roommate had made me really mad. And I'm pretty hot. I'm pretty upset. Matter of fact, I was so upset, I had two choices. I could either stand up and address him and pop him a good one and say, back off, dude. Or I could sit down and weep. And that's what I did. I didn't grow up in a household that taught the idea of shoving people around when they're wrong. And so this guy was destroying me verbally. And so I sat down and I cried. And then he left. And I'm still hot, still angry. Again, in my flesh, I wanted to pound him. But I knew that wasn't right. And so as I'm sitting there trying to figure out what to do next, uh, we took turns making dinner in our apartment, and it was my night to make dinner. And uh, my roommate, what I did know about my roommate is he enjoyed fine dining. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to put on a nice dinner here. And so I... Got some steaks out, got some potatoes, peeled them, um, set the table nice, put some cool music on, broiled up some steaks, made a salad, smashed some, some potatoes there, and a bunch of butter on them. And uh, he shows up around dinner time, and he walks in, he sees his cell set up, and he's like, what's going on? Well, it's my night. I made you dinner. You, you made all the, You made steak for me. 
Yeah. We then had dinner together that evening, and he shared with me how things were in his family that people would blow up about things and yell at each other and like he had done with me. And they would never resolve anything. Months would go by, and maybe they wouldn't talk to each other for months. And then finally, after two or three months, maybe they'd start talking to each other again. And that's what he was expecting out of me. I said, well, that's not how I was raised. Come to find out years later, as he called me, he moved out to California after college years, and several years had gone by, and he had gone through a divorce, and major bout with cancer, and he called me, and, and he, he apologized to me. And uh, he confessed to me that, by the way, in my college years, you didn't know it, but I was a closet alcoholic. And now, now I understood what had happened, and I'm so thankful that, by God's grace, I chose to love on this guy. And now he's apologizing to me years later. You know, sometimes you just got to wait for God's justice in his time. Vengeance is mine, he says. I will repay. Beloved, our sin and rebellion against God carries major consequences that affect all of us as we wrestle with anger and bitterness that we allow into our lives. The only hope we have is to put off our anger and bitterness knowing that retaliation is never justifiable before God by putting on a heart of forgiveness. Through calling on the name of the Lord and putting our faith and trust in God's one and only Redeemer, Jesus Christ, we can finally find real and enduring peace in our relationships. So call on him. Call on him for deliverance. Call on him for forgiveness. Call on him for his power, his salvation. Call on him with thanksgiving. Would you please stand as we close our service today? Our gracious Heavenly Father, I, I know each one in the room here probably has someone in mind when they think of someone that they've been angry with or bitter with for maybe perhaps even many years. But Lord, it's never too late to do all that we can to make things right. And if the phone call needs to be made or the email sent, oh God, I pray that it happens. That you would reconcile relationships. That we take responsibilities for our own faults, for our own errors, for our own sins. And that we would trust you in your sovereignty over all these things. Oh God, give us a heart of forgiveness as we call upon your name. We have nowhere else to turn but to you. Lord, we need your help to do this, understanding that there is a huge cost with respect to our sin. Generational consequences, specific consequences even things that show up in our work. So Lord, help us to put these things away from us, the anger, the malice, the rage. Lord, help us to lay these things down at your feet and walk away from them. And to put our faith and trust completely in you, for you are our God. 
Lord, may we not be as Cain, who's now a murderer, or his son, who's a double murderer. May sin not be multiplied in us, knowing full well that Christ can make all the difference as we trust in you. Lord, help us to know with great certainty that our anger will never, ever bring about your righteousness. Not only will it not happen, it's not possible. So Lord, help us. Lord, for those who are wrestling in relationships, I pray for them especially today, that even now they would say, Lord, I need help. And if they need more help, that they get the help that they need. Lord, may we call on you just now as we seek your face to make things right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the power of your word here. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Well, thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.